0: Thank you so much for all of the worship music today, rich and blessing. We're in a sermon series right now, Family Strong, and this morning we're thinking about what happens when brothers and sisters quarrel. We're going to be reading from Genesis, the 33rd chapter, the first 11 verses. I invite you to open your Bibles. It'll be on the screen also, but I'll be referring to uh, some verses through the course of the message, so you may want your Bible open. And before I read the scripture, I'd like to invite us to a time of prayer, if you would bow with me, please, for some silence in God's presence. I invite you to enter with me into the silence and enter with me into the very throne room of the living God. how we are blessed, mighty God, with every manifestation of your work in the world and in our hearts. As we hear testimony through song and through scripture, we're reminded that you never stop loving your people. So we pray today on behalf of your people and on behalf of your world that you might bless in powerful ways. We pray for all of those in our church family who are struggling with mental illness, physical illness, family strife, financial difficulties, job searches, and a sense of despair that somehow brings them to the end of themselves. We pray that you would minister grace in your mighty, loving way in each of these situations. We pray for the sick, for those facing surgery, for those recovering. We pray for the grieving, those who've Lost loved ones, that you would be very near them. We ask God that you bless all of those serving in our military, in our armed forces. We were reminded yesterday on Armed Forces Day how much we owe to so many for our freedoms, and we pray that you will protect them and bless their families. We pray for places of conflict all over the world that there might be peace. We pray for those devastated by the earthquakes in Nepal, that you might bless them and care for them and speed the aid that comes to them. We pray, Father, also your rich blessing on our graduates and their families in these days of transition, that they might sense an outpouring of your grace and nearness. We pray for our approaching vacation Bible camp and sports crusader camp, for all of the ways that lives will be touched with the gospel of Christ. God, to know your Son, Jesus Christ, is to know life because He is the way, the truth, and the life. And through Jesus, we experience liberation and transformation. Today, we pray you'll bless and guide us into your truth in a special way that would confront us and heal relationships with you and with others and to help us to be family strong. This is our prayer through Christ. Amen. Genesis 33, verses 1 through 11. If you're able, would you stand, please, as I read this scripture aloud? Now, Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids. He put the maids with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on ahead of them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. When Esau looked up and saw the women and children, he said, who are these with you? Jacob said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the maids drew near and they and their children and bowed down. Leah likewise with her children drew near and bowed down, and finally Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, To find favor with my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, No, please. If I find favor with you, then accept my present with my hand, from my hand. For truly to see your face is like seeing the face of God, since you have received me with such favor. Please accept my gift that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have everything I want. So he urged him, and he took it. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word. You may be seated. John Claypool told the story of twin brothers who grew up very, very close, they were best friends, they did everything together in school, and finally when it came time they inherited the family business and they successfully ran together the family store. One day, a customer came in, made a minor purchase, paid with cash. One of the brothers took the money and thoughtlessly laid it on the counter rather than putting it in the cash register because he wanted to walk with the customer out to the door because they had something important to talk about. The brother got busy with other things. He forgot about it. Then later, when he remembered he'd left the cash on the counter, he went back and it was gone. So he went to his sibling and... uh, He said, I didn't see anybody else in the store. Uh, Did you put that money away or take it? And the brother said, no. And if it would have ended there, it would have been okay. It could have stopped there because it wasn't that much money. It wasn't that much merchandise to account for. But uh, the brother who would laid the cash on the the counter started brooding about it and thinking about it. And so he went back a second time to his uh, twin and said, uh, with just a hint of accusation, Are you sure you didn't take that money? And the brother caught the hint of accusation and bristled a little bit and and declared his innocence. But then there started to bubble up all these petty grievances that have been stored away all through the years of working together in business. And then one thing led to another and uh, charge and counter charge and recriminations. And finally, the relationship was broken. Trust was gone and this feud went on for twenty years between these twin brothers, and it was so bad that they dissolved the partnership and they created two separate stores, both selling the same merchandise, forcing the community to choose loyalty between one or the other brother. For twenty long years. Then one day a well-dressed stranger walked into the store, into one of the stores, and he asks asked one of the twins, how long he'd owned the business. And the stranger said, I have a confession to make. About 20 years ago, I was down on my luck passing through town, had not eaten in three days, and I slipped into your store unnoticed and saw cash on the counter, and I took it because I was hungry. He said, I'm here to make amends, to apologize, and to make whatever reparations you see fit. And the stranger was surprised to notice that the store owner's shoulders were heaving and he had tears in his eyes. He said, would you please do me a favor and go next door and tell the owner of that business the very same thing you just told me? So the stranger did, and just as he finished his story the second time, he was surprised to see two old men who looked remarkably alike holding on to one another weeping. It would be difficult for me to exaggerate how badly Jacob had messed up family relationships. He connived and Tricked and lied and cheated, always looking out for himself. He robbed his twin brother, older brother Esau, out of birthright, out of blessing, lied to his father. And after that, that second cheating with Esau, Esau said to Jacob, when daddy dies, I'm killing you. And Jacob, being ever the one to take care of himself, fled. He married, he became prosperous. Many, many, many years later, he started to come back, and somebody tells him, Esau, your brother is coming for you with 400 men. And Jacob did the only thing he ever knew to do. He decided to wiggle his way out of it. He was going to buy Esau's favor and forgiveness, and he put together a large herd of livestock, ready to bribe forgiveness out of Esau. And of course, what Jacob was prepared for was revenge. What Jacob got was grace. Verse 4, I think, is pivotal in this story because it begins with the, ber- with the word but... But Esau ran to meet him. But I love the word but because it usually means there's a surprise coming. It usually means this isn't going to go like you thought it was going to go. It usually means something good is coming. And instead of revenge, but Esau ran to him. And the wording is fascinating. Esau ran to meet him, embraced him, fell on his neck and kissed him and and they wept. Do you know Jesus knew his Bible very well, his Hebrew Bible? That's the only Bible he had. And you remember that story that Jesus told in Luke 15 about the prodigal son? He went into a far country and wasted all of his uh, inheritance and uh, had to work with the pigs and came home all smelly and sweaty and despondent and ready to repent. And the Scripture says, I'm going to read it to you from Luke 15, 20. The father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, put his arms around him, and kissed him. I think Jesus got that phrasing from the Genesis 33, 4 account. It's that same kind of family reconciliation that, where Esau said, I, I don't want to get even. I, I want to offer you grace. I'm going to hug you. I'm going to kiss you. I'm going to restore you in love, not because of you deserve it, but because I love you. Now, I don't know about you, but Esau is one of my candidates for the most uh, unrecognized uh, spiritual person in the First Testament of Scripture, in our Old Testament. He's my candidate for underrated. Yeah, he made a lot of mistakes, but he doesn't get much credit for this kind of grace. Who do you know in the Bible that had more right to be upset who do you know in the Bible had more of a right to be, um, to, feel, to feel wronged? Who had more of a right to be angry? Who had more of a right to, to want revenge? And yet he offers grace. It's an amazing story. You see, something changed in Esau. And, and it's a story not told in Scripture, so it's left to the mist of history. Something changed in him. He started with 400 men. So maybe perhaps on his way to do in his brother, God worked in his heart. Maybe he started with troops to completely annihilate Jacob. But Esau somehow, something changed. Something changed in Jacob too. Because just the night before this episode, in chapter 32 of Genesis, Jacob had wrestled with an angel all night long, and he was forever changed. He walked with a limp. His name was changed from Jacob to Israel. So God was working in their lives. Isn't it great to experience God's grace working in your life? Isn't that a delicious, wonderful feeling when when you know that somehow your heart is melting and you don't hate like you did or you're willing to forgive and you don't even know where that came from? To me, the most exciting part of following Jesus is the transformation that happens. Ever so slowly and sometimes imperceptibly. But it happens. And it's just wonderful. You see, two men needed to be healed that day. Jacob needed to be healed by being forgiven. But Esau needed to be healed by doing the forgiving. And both experiences heal us, receiving forgiveness and offering forgiveness. I uh, remember something that one of my New Testament professors, Dr. Bill Coble, would say occasionally. He would say, forgiveness does not mean forgetting. We're human. We can't forget. He said, forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is not allowing the offense to define the future of the relationship. Forgiveness is not allowing the offense to define the future of the relationship. We have some graduates here this morning from various institutions, and we will in 1045 service. I want to remind all the graduates, it's possible to get an A in calculus and flunk relationships. You can be good at a lot of things, but if you don't learn in life to experience God's grace and forgiveness, you're not going to succeed. And as far as that goes, you can receive an A in church attendance and church activities and receive an F in forgiveness. We never graduate from the school of forgiveness. We never graduate from that school of learning to let go of grudges and to experience grace. Poor Jacob. He had such a hard time with grace. Don't you? I do too. Jacob had such a hard time with grace. He had gone through life thinking he had to earn everything. He had to earn his a parent's favor. He had to earn his place in life. He had to work for and buy everybody's approval. He had to work for and buy God's approval. He was always bargaining with God, thinking that God was on some kind of pay schedule. He just never got grace, that God loved him as he was, that God, that God valued him as he was. He never got grace. He was always trying to earn, always trying to, to pay for. And even when he needed forgiveness from Esau, it never occurred to him just to simply apologize and and throw himself at Esau's mercy, he wanted to buy it. We all struggle with that. We struggle with grace because we're simply ignorant of how good God is, that God actually loves us more than we could realize. But we also struggle with grace not only because of ignorance, but because of pride and ego. Because like Jacob... We think if I can pay for this, I'm still in control. If I can can buy God's love, I'm still in charge. If If I can pay you or work hard enough to get you to like me, then I'm still intact as an ego. But we can't earn our salvation, we can't earn our way into God's forgiveness. Only Jesus Christ can do that. The cross is the infinite, endless message that we cannot earn our way into God's grace, that we don't have to, that Jesus has paid it all, and that we are left with our ego crumbling, that we simply must repent, and we must simply throw ourselves at God's mercy and at the mercy of others and simply receive grace. Those things we cannot earn. Now, watch carefully what happens if we think, like Jacob, that we're earning our way into God's favor, buying grace. If I think that I'm earning my way into God's love, then I'm going to turn around and put you on the same kind of performance basis, right? And that's the sad thing that happens in marriages sometimes. Couples start keeping score. Score well, you hurt me, that's 10 checks, so i got to hurt you 15 checks. That that back and forth keeping score. Or it can happen where we somehow communicate to our children that I only love you if you're performing well, if you're doing certain things. Or it can happen in relationships in church or relationship with, with other loved ones. But God doesn't do that to us, so why would we do that to others? God's love is grace, not what we deserve. This is why the scripture in Ephesians is so important, and I want to show it to you on the screen from Ephesians. It starts in chapter 4 and actually ends in chapter 5. Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. Watch what God does, and then you do it. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with Him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. That's what the cross has done for us. That's what Jesus has done for us. That's how God loves us. So that's how we love others. And that's how we forgive others. And you remember... What Jacob said when he finally realized that Esau was forgiving him, he said, man, brother, to see your face is to see the face of God because I've experienced your favor and the word is translated grace. To see your face is to, is to see God's grace in the flesh. Several years ago, in the devotional the upper room a fellow named tom wrote the day's devotional and told about a time in his life when he and his young family had taken all of their life meager life savings and and uh, invested it in a friend's plan to make money well not only did the investment plan not work but the friend betrayed them and they lost everything tom lost his job He lost all kinds of uh, business opportunities, struggling to keep from losing his house, struggling to keep his family together. He said the bitterness just grew in him every day. He said every morning he got up, he could just taste the bile in his mouth, the bitterness and the rage. And finally, the rage within him gave him ulcers. He was physically sick from all of the hatred. Finally, one day, his uh, pastor said to him, Tom, it's as if you drank a bottle of poison and expected the other person to die. And then his pastor said, Tom, forgive and let it go and don't do it for them, do it for yourself. And Tom says that through a lot of prayer, through a lot of counsel, through a lot of time, he finally reached that place of letting it go and forgiving. And he said, I knew that I'd really forgiven that person when one day I accidentally ran into him. And when he saw my face, Tom said, he was very frightened. And then Tom said, I told him, don't be afraid. I'm not going to hurt you. I forgive you. And then the man who'd betrayed him broke down and wept and told him how sorry he was. And Tom says in that devotional in the upper room, that afternoon as we embraced, just like Jacob and Esau, we saw the face of God. We saw the face of God. Let's bow our heads together.